0: Okay. Thank you, thank you. Please be seated. I noticed because I called him Pastor Bark the other day, he's now making fun of my hairstyle. Someone told me to draw, draw little rabbits on my head. Lots of little rabbits from a distance, they'll look like hairs. Oh. <laughs> the dad jokes don't get better. You know, as you get older, as you get older, you forget what jokes you've told because dad jokes, they can be repeated and people laugh out of respect. You know, I went to the doctor the other day and I said, Doctor, you've got to understand that obesity runs in our family. He said, no, the trouble is nobody runs in your family. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't very nice. (laughs) Uh, So there you go, but... um, I couldn't help but look up on the screen and see that you're looking for pasta sauce. I can cook it for you. I love making pasta sauce. But you know, my mum used to make pasta sauce on Saturday, and then she would reheat it Sunday morning, especially if it had meatballs in it. And then after church Sunday, we would go over for lunch at mum and dad's place with the kids, and she'd heat it again. The kids would get really hungry, they're dipping bread in the sauce before. She'd say, Don't eat it now, you know, you won't be able to eat the pasta later. But if you're an Italian or a European or if you understand Italian food, you discover that if there's sauce left over and you reheat it on Monday, maybe even Tuesday, especially if you're fried in a frying pan with the leftover pasta and all the noodles go crispy around the edges. Am I making you hungry? Uh, um, It tastes even better and it tastes incredible. And the Holy Spirit said to me one day, I want you to preach the kind of messages that taste better on Monday. They taste better on Tuesday, not just on Sunday when we have family lunch. Today we've had spiritual family lunch together, but my prayer is that what we've been sharing will help you tomorrow when you reheat it. And maybe on Tuesday and Wednesday as you reheat what God has delivered to you to feed you from the Word of God. And tonight is a difficult night for me to share the pain of our story, and that in the middle of all that, I pray that... This will taste better on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday and for the rest of your days because I don't want to bleed with my pain, I want to bless you with my pain. I want to build you with my pain and I don't want to waste my pain. soon as we started to worship and there's something about Holy Spirit worship... Can I say something has happened to me since I've handed the church over to my spiritual son and I've been traveling around the body of Christ. When I walk into a church where the Holy Spirit is genuinely in the worship, the prophetic starts to flow. Things begin to happen when it's just going through the motions There are times when I think, God, I'm losing it here. I don't know what I'm going to do, and it has not been like that here. It's been every meeting, Wednesday night, or when was it? Friday night when we were with the leaders. The minute we walked in and the music started and the worship started, the Holy Spirit started to download. And even tonight, as the Holy Spirit started to move on me during the worship, I wrote these things down just in the meeting, and that is that God wants you to experience tonight the kiss of the Father. Now, I hadn't thought of anything like that, but he wants you to experience the embrace of heaven. He wants you to experience the healing of your pain, the release from anxiety, release from emotional pain, restoration of hope, the setting free from fear of something bad's going to happen. There are some of you in the room and there's been cancer in the family, there's been issues in the family, there's been suicide in the family tree and you think, is this going to happen to one of my kids? Is this going to happen in our family? And God wants to deliver you from that tonight and take away that fear and fill you with faith so you can put your trust and hope in Him. There's a coming back to God. There's someone here tonight, God is calling you home from your past disappointment. You were disappointed at God because you had loss in your family. You may have lost a son, a daughter, a father, a mother, and you thought, where was God when that happened? And tonight, the love of God is going to draw you and show you that he cried with you when you had those tears. He felt the pain with you. Holy Spirit, come tonight, I pray. Oh, Father, make these things truly be reality in people's lives. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Because of time, I'll get straight into it. Some of this I have to read a little bit because otherwise I get too emotional. On Friday, the 22nd of January, our lives changed forever. I was sitting at home preparing a message to speak that evening at a gathering of all denominations as there was going to be a gathering called Church Together. And I was preparing my message on citywide unity And coming together, I felt it was a word from God. I was excited about it. And then all of a sudden, there was a lightning strike that hit our city so severe that I leapt out of my chair. And as I leapt out of my chair and came back down again, my phone rang. And it was our senior pastor, Pastor Jonathan, was at Adelaide Airport waiting for someone to arrive. And the planes could not land because of the severe storm. I had no idea that that very lightning strike was the strike that killed our son. His two youngest kids were at our home and they were playing in our back of our house and I said to my wife, bring them in, the storm doesn't look too good and she brought the children in and within a few minutes the phone rang. My wife answered her phone, which is a miracle because she normally can't find her phone. She has it in a bag with half of our city living in that bag and, and if she goes to look for her phone it could take a long time for her to find it and she got it straight away and it was the police and they said look we need you to come to the Mount Barker hospital which was about 50 minutes from our house into the Adelaide hills there's been an accident and your son has been hit by lightning the moment my wife looked at me and said Chris has been hit by lightning we need to get to the Mount Barker hospital I knew that he had passed I just knew intuitively that Chris had passed and I couldn't I I, I was trying to control my emotions and and as we got in the car with his children in the back seat they are crying and saying is daddy going to be okay and my wife says we don't know we'll get to the hospital let's just don't worry and I'm holding it together knowing that our son had passed I just knew It was the longest drive of my life, it was a 50 minute drive, everything went from colour to black and white, it was a stormy day but now things had really gotten dark. I can't explain to you the exact feelings but when I arrived at the hospital and I got out of the car my knees went to jelly. It was like I couldn't walk, it was like jelly all through my knees and and we arrived at the front door and ladies and gentlemen, I want to say tonight, ministry is not a platform. I want you to hear this, as we arrived at the hospital, there were two nurses that met us at the door. Never seen them, didn't know who they were, knew nothing about them and obviously they didn't know I was Pastor Danny. And they took us behind a curtain, not knowing that our son's body was on the other side of the curtain. And they said, look, before we go any further, I hope you don't mind. We would like to do something. And they prayed for us. Total strangers. Just laid hands on us. Hugged us. Just rubbed our shoulders and told us that we would be okay. And I'm thinking, so many people are chasing, where's my ministry And right there that day, I don't know if they were angels, I've never seen them since, I don't know, I don't think they were. But let me tell you, every one of us in this room can be the hands and feet of Jesus, that when people are hurting, we can hug someone, we can pray for someone. And so, within a few minutes, we saw Chris's body, he had been pretty well burnt down one side by a lightning strike. And so all of a sudden I'm thinking, God, my life is finished. I don't know what to do. This is our firstborn. What is happening here? I know our lives will never be the same again. People would say, Pastor Danny, it'll take some time, but things will get back to normal. Try telling Job that when he lost 10 of his children and later on got 10 new ones, that he didn't need to grieve the 10 that he lost let me tell you, things will never be the same again. It won't be the same normal. And yet tonight I want to tell you there is a grace from God that comes, that can sustain you in the midst of your pain. What I'm about to say to you may sound really, really negative, and I hope it doesn't, but at that moment when this all happened, days to come, one after the other, I was too afraid to open my Bible. I was too afraid to open my Bible in case I read a scripture that would, would not line up with the circumstance of what I was just going through. And so I'd go to open and I just couldn't concentrate and I'd shut my Bible and then I'd say, God, I'm finished because I, I preach from revelation and if this is not speaking to me anymore, I'm done. I'm, I'm absolutely over this, I can't do it. And then one day there's a knock at the door, only a few days after me feeling like this and it was one of our staff Pastor Matt, who's our resident Bible teacher, he turned up at the door and he said, Pastor Danny, I don't know what to say to you. I don't know what words to say, but I thought I would go and research to find something to help you. And I found a book by a man called Nicholas Walterstorff. He is a Bible theologian who lost his son. He said, I've read every page of his book to make sure it's theologically correct. And I can't give you answers, but as you read another man's pain, and as you read the story of someone else who lost their 25-year-old son, maybe there'll be hope in there for you. He cried with me. He sat with me. And I began to open the book, and I began to pray. uh, Sorry, I began to read. And every day, it seemed like this man lived inside my head. He understood my pain. Can I read to you some of the things that he wrote? The pain of the no more outweighs the gratitude of the once was will it always be so i didn't know how much i loved him until he was gone is love like that when we are all together we're not all together job chapter 7 verse 9 says he will never come to his house again his place will know him no more I can't begin to tell you the pain of that first birthday, that first Christmas, that first getting together without him. The first time his wife would turn up at our house without her husband, with the four children, and now everything's changed. And so every day there was one layer upon another layer. It's hard to bury a child because our parents belong to our past, but our kids belong to our future. Does enduring while crying not require as much strength as never crying? We don't need to mask our suffering. I shall look at the world through tears. Perhaps I shall see things that dried eyed I could not see. And as I'm reading this day by day, it's like the Holy Spirit's using this to help me in my first season or my first stage. If you're taking notes tonight, I want you to write these words down. This is not stages of grief. These are postures of faith. And I want to say to you tonight that God took me on a journey of knowing how to sit, number one, how to stand, number two, how to sing, number three, again, and how to serve again, number four. And that's why this can taste better on Monday or Tuesday because this is not about my grief. This is about all of us living with all kinds of brokenness that comes our way. This morning I spoke about living with contrast. God wants us to have a faith that's far deeper than just being blessed. We can live with blessing and we can live with burden because we know whose we are. We know who we belong to. And so there are postures that God allows us to encounter to take us on the journey says well done good and faithful servant i want to finish my race and i understand that i'm walking with a limp i understand that i have brokenness i'll probably go home tonight and go to my hotel room and sometimes i'll cry for an hour i'm still in incredible grief right now but only a few weeks ago while i was recovering from an operation i was laying in my bed and the holy spirit said to me i have no grace for carnality I only have grace for broken humanity. And I go, wow. I go, Lord, what do you mean? He said, it says in First Peter that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And God said to me, Danny, I would rather you broken and humble than full of your own strength and full of your own carnality you must die so I can live through you. And I have got grace for your brokenness. I've got grace for your weakness. I've got grace for how you feel. And the minute someone comes up to me and says, I lost my son or my daughter like this morning, who people came to me, I start to cry straight away. But they're not tears of sadness and grief. They are sad, they are tears of compassion and love because something has happened within my own broken soul through all this that has brought me to a place where I'm comfortable to sit and I want you to understand what that means. When Chris died, I found myself in a state of shock. My mind went into a place of I don't know what to think or say or do. God seemed a million miles away. Everything seemed so wrong. Watching people go about their normal lives seemed so unfair. I had to learn to not be in control, confused and cut up and not being able to snap out of it was okay with God. God could understand that. And for the Christian... This is not a lack of faith when there are moments of why us? Where is God? Anger at God, maybe even a a little bit and say, God, what happened here? It's all part of the grief and part of our mourning. But I found myself sitting for hours, just sitting, not knowing what to do. And then one day I received a parcel at the front door. It was the book by a man called David Schaefer called Grieving Up. He writes a letter in the book. Dear Pastor Danny, several years ago, I lost my wife and only a short time later, I lost my daughter. My daughter was on RPA television program. That's on television with the the hospital system and they were filming her organ transplant. The organ transplant went really well, but she died on the operating table with a mistake that was done through surgery. And I was... An evangelist, and I still am. He says, I'm an evangelist and I pray for the sick. A healing evangelist with the INC movement. And he said, and one night I didn't know what to do. I just felt I couldn't face people. And someone said, we want you to come to a conference. There's a speaker speaking at this conference. His name is Danny Guglielmucci. And he said, I walked into the Gold Coast Convention Center or at a place on the Gold Coast where they were having this conference. And as I walked in, you started to speak about the stretcher and you spoke about Mark chapter two, how four friends, nameless, faceless friends took a broken man to the feet of Jesus on a stretcher. What I spoke on that night is that there are four kinds of people in the church, some who never want to get on the stretcher. In every church, there are people that are too afraid to say, I'm broken. He said, but number two, I said that night, there are people that never want to get off the stretcher. They would rather the church fix all their problems and not turn to Jesus. Because the church can put food on your table. The church can be there when you're lonely. I had a young lady in my youth group that used to slash her wrists when I was a youth pastor because her mother told her that she reminded her of the devil. Her mother went into witchcraft and rejected her daughter. And she would come to youth group on uh, Sunday, uh, Saturday nights and she would create a problem to get my attention. And one time she went too far. And by the time I got to the hospital, she'd taken her life. And so there are some people that never want to get off because they're afraid to then then there are those that like to carry stretches because then if i'm a leader then no one will see that i'm broken but the greatest gift we can give people is our journey to wholeness you know we can't just hide behind a title so that we don't admit our brokenness and then there are those who understand when they need a stretcher and when they need to get off and keep serving again because Jesus didn't waste his blood on a cross, so we stay 80 years on a stretcher. His blood has much more power than that. And so I'm preaching this in Queensland, and he decides he needs a stretcher. And he writes to me, and he goes, Pastor Danny, when you read my book and you get to chapter 2, your story will be there. What you taught me that night, I put in my book. I never mentioned your name, but your story is in that book. And I'm being led by the Holy Spirit to say, Pastor Danny, take a leaf out of your own sermons. It's time for you to sit and let others carry you. And I remember reading this letter and opening the book and realizing it's okay to have doubt. I never had unbelief because I know God but there were doubts. The Bible didn't seem to speak. And so I would be asking questions, you know, was that the call of God? Did God really call me into the ministry? That's why I have a passion that what we do for God has to be authentic and it has to be his call so that when things go wrong, we don't have to concern ourselves with stuff because we know that God did speak. God did lead. God did take us there. And I was able to recognize afresh that the call of God on my life was powerful but I needed to be carried and so I allowed people to carry me and then one morning I uh, got on my knees and I said God I don't know if I can stand again where are the people that can help my mind where are the psychologists the people I can turn to what do I do and right there the Holy Spirit said well what about all the sermons you've preached to everybody else I thought wow Because if they weren't worth preaching to you, they were never worth preaching to anybody else. And so I went to my 1980s box. I've got boxes of written sermons. And the ones that I'd written in the 80s are sitting in a box. And I go to this box and the first one I pull up. Stay in the ship in the midst of a storm. Five things to do when you're confronted in a storm that you should do out of Paul being stuck in a storm on his way to Rome. And as I'm reading that message, I allow it to wash all over me. And I say, God, I will now apply this message to my own life. And so slowly but surely, I started to move from sitting and other people gathering around me and making me feel protected. Even when I felt a little disconnected, I still felt his presence through others loving on me. And friends, tonight, you might be in this room and you might need a stretcher right now. Let me tell you, this is a house and there are many houses like this that create a space for people to say, I need a stretcher. It's not a lazy way out of commitment. It's just an honest declaration that my heart is broken, my soul is broken and I need a stretcher. I had people like Pastor Tark that would ring me. He has no idea the times that he rang, how pivotal that time was. I had pastors fly in from around the world just to sit with me and have coffee with me. See, sometimes Christians have to come up with an answer. We don't have to. It's okay to say, right now, I don't know. Right now, I don't know. So I had people come up to me and go, Pastor Danny, God loved your son so much, he created the lightning strike to take him home. Pastor Danny, the devil tried to kill your son, Michael, And he couldn't get to him so he's killed your other son because he hates your family so much. He's trying to take your whole family out. Thank you very much. Pastor Danny, my son gave his life at your son's funeral. Back to Jesus and you know, your son had to die so my son could live. And I remember driving home from church, not angry at people for saying these things, but so burdened. And, you know, burdened for a few things, but I was burdened for the lack of knowledge of truth. And something inside of me says, God, if you give me the grace to get up again and keep going, I want this not to become a suggestion book. I don't want it just to be a devotional book, but I want this to be a non-negotiable book that teaches us the truths of God that are not just suggestions, but they're directions and that we get our theology in order because my theology of Christ has not changed because my son died. What I believe about God has not changed because my son died, because they are words that have been written on my heart from the holy spirit over many many years and so slowly i started to stand again i sat for about six or seven weeks after having asked was my salvation real did i get a call did god send us to our church were my sermons true and real having preached on the first Sunday of the year at Hillsong Church, which I do every year in Sydney. And having preached on that first Sunday morning, the Lord is my shepherd. He's my personal providing and present shepherd, though I go through the valley of the shadow. And I'm preaching this at Hillsong. And I said to Hillsong Church, I said, Hillsong Church, I don't know what this year's gonna bring. I'm not gonna tell you this is the greatest year of your life because I can't promise you that. All I know is there's a good shepherd that whatever happens... He will stand with you and he will take you through. And 22 days later, my son passed away. So I now start to stand, ladies and gentlemen, and going, God, I can't throw away what I know about you for the things I don't understand. So God, how can I throw away all the miracles that you've done in my life the day I was born? I was born with an incurable disease. When I was three months old, my dad held me up in prayer and said, God, if you heal him, you can have him. And God healed me instantly at three months of age, confirmed by the doctors. I had a growth that disappeared overnight as he prayed for me and he gave me back to God. I can tell you the miracles that have happened over many years one after the other, driving down a road and looking at a building and God saying, that's your building. And we had no money. And today that building is probably worth $16 million handed over that building to a new generation. But I was driving down a road when that building wasn't even for sale. And God says, that's your building. And I could go on tonight, miracle after miracle. Now this happens. How dare I throw away all that I know about God and so can I tell you what I did? I said, God, I don't want to be cheeky, but I don't know where to start with the word of God. Chris was 39 years of age. I'm just going to go to Psalm 39. and I'm just going to start reading my Bible there. I got to verse 4 and listen to this. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire life is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is a breath. I said, God, the last words my son spoke will keep your eyes on eternity. That was on the Friday. I can't tell you why on the Tuesday before he died, I rang his pastor and I said, you know, Tony, I can't shake my son off my heart. I can't stop thinking about my son, Chris. Is everything okay? He goes, yes, I've got a youth camp happening on the weekend and everything's good. And then after the youth camp, Chris is going to move into other areas of the life of the church. And one of the young ladies, and he mentioned her name, is going to take over the youth group. She was the young lady that was standing next to him when he got killed and the lightning strike went through him and into, her she was rushed to hospital paralyzed from her uh, from just here downwards and she overnight got healed got out of hospital she was okay she's running the youth group as they said she was going to and yet my son stood in the way and took the hit he used to say to me dad all I want to do is serve young people and he died serving young people on a field at a youth camp but it's not what I would want and I'm not saying God caused it but he wrote that day the words it's dark out there There are storms, it's cloudy, do not fear, keep your eyes on eternity. But on the Sunday before he passed, our church was having a three o'clock afternoon service and Chris was at my place for lunch. My sugar levels went up to 17. I had to preach at the three o'clock service. He goes, you don't look too well, dad, I'm going to drive you. I said, no, Chris, it's okay, because that was the only night their church did not have a Sunday night service for the year and he drives me to church our eldest son dad i love you dad i love what god's done in our family i said son you're going to turn 40 soon i'd love to take you to america and take you and do route 66 together because he loved classic vintage cars he goes let's do it dad he goes but if we don't get around to it that's okay it's all cool i'm fine what are you going to do with your future chris You know, Dad, I really feel I haven't got clarity about that. But all I know is I can trust God with my future and I trust him. These were the last words. He got to church and we got to church to our church and the first person who's rostered to play is his brother that day at that service. His uncle standing right next to him. Some of his best friends that he grew up with, they all got to hug him. They all got to say hello. Hey, we miss you, Chris. We haven't seen you for such a long time because you're ministering in another church. It was two years since he'd seen some of those people not knowing that was the last time I would be with my son. On the Tuesday, I rang his pastor off burdened. I don't know what what it is. and I couldn't shake it on the day before he passed. On the Thursday, I rang my pastor and I said, I just can't shake Chris off my mind. I feel so burdened for him. I hope everything's okay. Can you pray with me? And the next day at two o'clock in the afternoon, he was gone. So now wind the clock forward when you can see elements of God preparing us not fully understanding everything and I get to my Bible reading after Psalm 39 a couple of days later and I'm reading Deuteronomy 29 29 the Lord our God has secrets known to no one we're not accountable for them but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions and I said God I'm going to trust your sovereignty, even though I don't have clarity. And I started to stand again. People would ring up with prophetic words, and that was so on target. And there was the hand of God in the midst of it all. But there's that part of me that still will never understand why it had to go that way. But I went from sitting to starting to stand again. And then I started to try to sing again and ladies and gentlemen singing is not just singing a song it's a posture it's a posture though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine yet will i rejoice in the god of my salvation and i will trust in him and i would as i said in one of the other meetings i would go to church we would start to worship and all i could see was his coffin when we had his funeral and if i can just divert for a second When we had his funeral, every denomination turned up. It was the largest funeral in our city's history. They had to have it in several buildings via satellite and they spoke about it in Parliament. And so I'm on the platform, his coffin is there and I'm seeing the AOG, the CPC, the CCC, the COG. All the C's were there. (laughs) The Baptists were there, the Lutherans were there. The politicians were there, both sides of parliament. The building's packed. Russell Evans is sitting next to Brian Houston and, and, and the leader of the ACC, and they're all there. And all the different abominations, I mean denominations, were all there. <laughs> People came up to us and said, Pastor Danny, we left this church eight years ago offended by something. We walked in today and the presence of God was so strong and we're wondering, why did we ever leave? is, children get lost along those journeys. They get broken. Someone who said to me only a few months before my son's death, I want nothing to do with you. It was someone I had to remove from leadership because things had gone really AWOL and God wanted this to happen, but he got offended. And because he got offended, I tried to have a coffee with him to restore the relationship. He goes, I don't want to restore the relationship. I want to get on with my life. Now my son dies, turns up at my door. We love you. A few weeks ago, you hated me. And I remember saying to my wife, does someone have to die for the church to become the church? does someone have to die for the body of Christ to become the body of Christ? At my son's funeral, he was honored by community. He was honored by the Christian community. He was honored by pastors across different denominations. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, we don't want to wait for someone to die. You already died for that to happen on the cross through Jesus Christ. May the church come together. And Pastor Tark, there is an anointing on this house to bring the body of Christ together. We've actually talked about that, so I'm not trying to be prophetic right now. We've had that conversation, but I want you to know it's more than a conversation. It's a vocation that God's bringing on the house to see the body of Christ come together. Friends, while we've got life and while we've got hope and while we have the hope of the gospel, let's get rid of religion. Let's get rid of churchianity and let's be true Christians. And so I started to just worship again with the pain right there in me i'm going to write a book called singing in the pain not singing in the rain <laughs> i'm singing in the pain <laughs> and then all of a sudden i realized my son chris had a life message and his life message was live for eternity all his life wow. do you know chris had one pair of jeans and whenever they wore he'd by another one no material possessions that he cared about his whole life our son Chris talked about eternity all the time he even joked when I told him to stop eating junk food he goes ah dad I'm not here for a long time I'm here for a good time (laughs) he was a young man who wasn't driven for ministry but he loved young people he would have them in his home till three o'clock in the morning reaching out to them and all of a sudden It's like when you buy a yellow car, you notice every other yellow car on the road. I started to open my Bible again and I realised how much the Apostle Paul starts with eternity. He starts the gospel, the the, the pastoral epistles, and one John, where in those scriptures that John writes, there's all the the early apostles are speaking like, because of eternity, let's do this. Because of eternity, let's do that. Because of eternity, let's love one another. He writes most of his stuff from eternity in Philippians chapter 4. And I haven't got time, we're moving out of time, but in Philippians chapter 4, he writes from prison. And he's writing from prison to a group of people in Philippi, and he's going, Listen, you live in Philippi, but you live by your colony. You're on colony Philippi, but you live by the rules of Rome. And you need to obey the laws of Rome, and just like you do that in the natural, you live on colony earth, but we need to live by by the patterns of eternity. We need to live with the accent of heaven. And you know, he says rejoice in the Lord always. But he also says there's two ladies in the church and he names them. That lady and that lady, get on with each other. I think one of them was called Yoda, something to do with Star Wars. But she, uh, you know, he says, tell Yoda and that other woman to stop fighting. Can you imagine if Pastor Tart, you got up here on a Sunday and mentioned people's names and said, you two, stop fighting. We'd go, what a controlling church. Yet if we were really to be biblical... That's what a father should do. Say, come on church, let's get on with this. You know, the Bible says, correct, adjust, rebuke, encourage with good sound teaching. That spells care. C-A-R-E. Correct, adjust, rebuke, encourage with good sound teaching. So Paul writes and he goes, listen, because of eternity, because eternity's at stake. There's a lot of things I wished I could have said more to Chris. There were times I should have probably hugged him more. I miss his hugs. I miss him scratching my bald head and saying, how are you going, Chuck? Used to love giving me wedgies. Used to love slobbering and kissing me all the time. And I go, stop it, stop it. But loved it. I miss all that. I miss all that. So his little boy, eight years old, walks into our house with his dad's hat on. He's got a little bag on his shoulder and I said, Elijah, what do you want to be when you grow up? He goes, no, no, I don't know anymore. Just miss my dad. He's got his dad's hat on. I turn around and I start to cry and I walk away. And as I'm walking away behind my back, he goes, don't cry, no, no. Heaven is our home. Don't cry, no, no. Heaven is our home. I come back out of my bedroom and I can smell aftershave all through our house. And I said, hey, Elijah, what are you doing? Putting aftershave. Have you started shaving? You're eight years old. (laughs) He pulls out a bottle of John Paul Gaultier. He goes, oh, that was daddy's aftershave. No, no. I just don't want to forget my dad. I loved my dad. I miss my dad. And your heart just breaks. It just rips apart. But he's telling me, no, no. Heaven is our home. Paul in Philippians says, stay in partnership, stay in praise, stay in prayer, make prayer your lifeline. Thank God for a church that prays. I'm so grateful. I tell you, if I was living in New Zealand and lost my son, this is where I'd want to be. In a pace of partnership, praise, prayer, where the peace of God that passes all understanding is there, that goes deeper than our pain, so we can practice our faith. Country and Western singer Loretta Lynn wrote a song, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, but Nobody Wants to Die. She lost two children. But I realized that I don't have to sit forever, I don't have to just stand. I can sing again, and then I can serve. And the reason why I serve, ladies and gentlemen, from a young age of 16, I had a revelation, listen to me, of the resurrection. And when as a young man, I was listening to my dad preach and some of it was confusing and some of it I couldn't understand. But whenever he preached about the cross of Jesus and then he would preach about Jesus rising from the dead as a teenager, I'd cry my eyes out to the point where I went and researched it. And I went and read all the books on the resurrection. Was it a hoax? Did it really happen? Because I don't want to be a person of religion. I want to be a person that follows a real God. And so the resurrection became a conviction in my heart. And God began to show me the scriptures in the Bible. I want the musicians to come, please. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, but where are we? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, if Christ has been raised from the dead, he is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. If there will be no resurrection from the dead and if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. I've carried now for 60 years nearly of my life the absolute knowing on the inside that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is real, that he's changed my life and eternity is our home and we are passing through but we are gonna go home and that's the only thing that gives me the absolute power and energy to keep preaching, to keep teaching, to keep sitting when I need to sit to have a rest, but not for long. And then I can stand again. And then I can sing again. And then I can serve again. In conclusion tonight, when we sit, we trust the sovereignty when there is no clarity. When we stand, we express our faith in the proven promises of God. When we sing, we show our resolve. I have decided to follow Jesus. And when we serve, we show we are citizens of heaven. I have decided to follow Jesus was a hymn that many of you know was written a long time ago. The lyrics are based on the last words of a man in Assam, North East India. You probably know the story. Who along with his family was converted to Christianity in the middle of the 19th century through the efforts of a Welsh missionary. Called to renounce his faith by the village chief, the convert declared, I have decided to follow Jesus. In response to threats to his family, he continued, though none go with me, still I will follow. His wife was killed and he was executed while singing the cross before me, the world behind me. This display of faith is reported to have led to the conversion of the chief and others in the village. The formation of these words that became a hymn is attributed to the Indian missionary, Sadhu Sunday Singh. I have decided to follow Jesus. As a grandfather, watching your grandchildren miss their dad, a five-year-old waking up screaming because she wants daddy, and then my grandson Zeke, 14 years of age, writes a poem. I want to read it to you. Everyone who's looking at this post, he posted it. I want to ask a favor, please. Cherish your fathers, not just today, but every day. Don't take them for granted. Cherish every moment you spend with him. Make jokes, build Lego, read stories, watch movies, do whatever you'd like to do with your dad because he won't always be there. I only had my dad for 14 years. He passed before he turned 40 and I wish I'd spent more time with him. I wish that I treasured him more. I wish he didn't go. I've written a poem for him and I'm sending it up to heaven for him to read. It's called My Father and it's about me having a conversation with my dad about him leaving us and going to heaven and I'd like to read it. Help me, Jesus. Please, my father, I beg you to stay. Don't worry, Zeke, we'll meet again someday. Help me, father, I'm so upset. You were someone I'll never forget. Come, my father, we need you here. Don't worry, Zeke, I'm always near. Hey, my father, why'd you go? God has his reasons, you'll never know. Dear my father, you're forever in my heart. From this day forward, we will never drift apart. Goodbye, my father. You were my own. It's okay, Zeke daddy's home 14 deep pain but trusting Jesus I couldn't do this without God I couldn't do it without eternal hope I'm going to hand back to Pastor Tark because I'm a little overwhelmed God is real And if you don't know him tonight, don't go another day without God. We're all going to die. Ladies and gentlemen, when you become a Christian, the planet doesn't get healed. We live on a fallen planet that is not cursed. That's cursed, sorry. And when we give our lives to Jesus, our spirit gets born again. But the earth is still full of sin and decay until there's a new heaven one day and a new earth. If you are not part of the curse when you become a Christian, then the minute you become a Christian, you should stop aging. But the fact is we still age and we die and death is part of the curse. So if we're not part of the curse, we should never die. But the fact is this is only the way through. This is just colony earth, but there is a home and there is a new heaven and there's a new earth where there'll be no more pain and no more sorrow, our eternal hope. Father, tonight I pray for anyone in this room who doesn't carry that eternal hope. Stamp it on their hearts, I pray. It's the only way we can do life. Amen.